Hi, folks, and welcome to yet another Wildlife for You podcast. This is the show where we talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I'm joined here by my fairly intelligent and occasionally funny co-host, Daryl Ratajak. I, I can't help but notice you kind of dialed down your vocal admirations of me ever since you found out I keep like those those private lists of nice things you do and say to me. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I did actually. After last week's episode and learning that you secretly keep a track of all my compliments, I had a terrible dream of you being like that Buffalo Bill character from Silence of the Lambs, you know, like imagining you as the the freaky scary dude that keeps my every compliment posted on the wall somewhere in his creepy little dungeon well i guess there goes your invite to my wine cellar (laughs) (laughs) trust me buddy from now on i am keeping you in plain sight with my bear spray at the ready it does work on more than just bears you know oh you want to talk about bears oh cool Uh, no No, I did not say that we are talking about bears, goofball. I just, I find it weird that you hold my compliments in such high regard, Um, but enough with the goofy, creepy stuff. Uh, Let me ask you, what are we, what are we going to be talking about on tonight's podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I'm also kind of glad that you trust me to select today's topic. So you know how we usually make half-hearted, like feeble attempts at trying to relate one podcast to the next? Uh, kind of, sort of, but no, not really. Okay, well, I make half-hearted, feeble attempts to kind of relate one podcast to the next while you're, like, completely oblivious to it. Anyway, I think I have a good tie-in from our last episode. Now, albeit it's a little bit of a stretch, but I'm kind of sticking to it. Anyway, last week we were talking about conservation and preservation, and I remember one of the lines I said there, we, we mentioned that either approach, conservation or preservation is good, and it works whether or not you're trying to protect, and I quote, bears or cougars or owls or salamanders. So today, we're going to be talking about... Do, do not say bears. I mentioned bears there, didn't I? Uh, alas, I'm not talking about bears today. We are going to be talking about owls. Oh, geez, you are kind of stretching that connection bit big time there, bud. But I will I will let you slide on this one because I actually love this topic. Well, I kind of knew you would. So let's jump right into the heart of today's topic. And I'm probably going to ask you the most important question of all regarding owls. So if you had the privilege and this is this is a long shot because it's it's a very privileged selection here but if you had the privilege of becoming a student at hogwarts which is the school that harry potter went to in case you didn't know what kind of owl would you select to deliver your owl post you say harry potter like he's some super special dude anyway <laughs> you know um i i i I didn't know the most important question. Um, like, ooh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm so, uh, toughy, toughy, toughy. I'm going to have to say that I would probably choose ooh, the saw wet owl to deliver my owl post. But they're so small, I am sure they're going to be restricted to local deliveries only. Yeah, they are kind of teeny, but wh- why them? I'm actually, I'm glad you asked. For starters, like you just said, their size. You know, these diminutive little dudes are like like seven inches tall with a wingspan of around like 
20 inches. Um, so they aren't big is the, the, the big story there. The, the thing is, though, the way their little faces are built with this coloration that they have above, well, actually all the way around, but mostly above their eyes. Uh, it's, it's like eyebrows. They, I swear they have these little facial expressions depending on their 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 eyes and how far their eyes are open. You can see surprise and shock and intrigue and anger. I mean, it's it's great. But the other really cool thing about Sawat Owls is in my, my area, my neck of the woods down in Southeast Tennessee, they're what is considered a Pleistocene relic. Do I need to explain that? Yes, you do. Okay, so the Pleistocene, you know, like right now we're in the Anthropocene, this, uh, Anthropocene is this, this era that we're in. So the Pleistocene, just picture this as the last big ice age. That's the easiest way to kind of put your mind in the right time frame. So at the time we had what this thing called the Laurentide Ice Sheet that like came down all the way through Canada and stretched into the, the northern part of the, the lower 48. And it obviously drastically changed the, the climate, the climate of the whole planet was way different. So it made the air in like our neck of the woods drier and colder. So when it receded, obviously lots of the animals that needed that kind of, you know, certain temperatures to survive in, they receded along with the, the backflow of the, this big um, ice sheet. But lo and behold, on the, the tops of some of the mountains in this, this general neck of the woods, the, the climate ended up being about perfect. So these guys came from lower elevations, went up to higher elevations, and that's the only place in the Southeast now that we can find them is in these certain elevations that mimic the, the climate um, of when that, that ice sheet was reaching down into to the United States. So that's, that's the Pleistocene era. So because they are relics from that time period and that's the only reason why they're here, the rest of them are much farther north that's why they're called the May a Pleistocene relic. Excellent, excellent description of that. And just so you know, Steph, so you don't like think I'm I'm slipping here. I, I knew what a Pleistocene relic was, but I think you did a wonderful job explaining to our listeners. But I saw what owl. See, I never would have imagined you would have selected that kind of owl. I mean, it's close, but if I figured you would have went with something like a pygmy owl. Wanna know why? I just think you should shush. What? How do you know I wasn't going to say like pygmy owls are, are like the most amazing or exquisitely beautiful or remarkably intelligent? Like, here's here's a good adjective for you. Extremely nifty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's I love extremely nifty, but that's all super sweet. <laughs> and you also know that pygmy owls are like really, really super, super short owls. On <laughs> You know, I, I knew you weren't going to let me down. I, I knew that you were going to get a short joke in there. But can we please start talking about biology? And just so you know, Dee, pygmy owls are not the smallest owls out there. That's the elf owl. Really? Dang, well, I'll be. <laughs> Do you have any idea how utterly awesome it is when you get all wildlife nerdy on me? So, all right, we're, we're going to be we're going to be getting nerdy on this show. So let's let's get the show on the road. So start educating me on owls Steph. okay so as daryl was saying today's topic is apparently going to be all about owls so i figure the best way to start out today's discussion is to talk about owls collectively as a whole and maybe then if we get time we could maybe break into talking about individual species of owls um if that if we can make that happen 
I am sure most of you, dear listeners, already have a pretty good, excuse bandit in the background, but already have a pretty good idea of what a standard storybook owl, like what they look like. I mean, all those, those Tootsie Pop commercials or like Disney's King Arthur back in the day, they instilled to all of us at an early age what owls look like. But believe it or not, folks, they really do come in all shapes and sizes. You know, even though that's true, though, there there's still going to be some standard similarities regardless. So first off, all owls belong to the order Strigiforms or Strigiformes, and they are typically broken down into two families, the Strigidae, which are the ones that we call true owls, and then Titanidae, which are the barn owls. The cool thing is they're primarily all nocturnal birds of prey. That was a good mumping, but I am confused at something you said, and I want you to clarify, because you you talked about the standard-looking owl from either the Tootsie Pop commercial, which I'm very well aware because it takes him three bites to get to the center. But what what is the owl in King Arthur? There's a, in the the Disney's King Arthur, there's an owl that talks to the little kid Arthur a a bit, which ends up being Merlin, I believe. Uh, Apparently, I was, yeah. I, I was mistreated as a child because I never got to see that version of it. But thank you for clarifying that. Okay, you said that owls, they're, they're, they're primarily nocturnal birds of prey. So would they be classified as raptors then? Um, well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because it kind of depends on how you define raptors. You know, in general, most people consider raptors as those birds that have a, a hooked beak, you know, strong feet with these really sharp talons, super keen eyesight, and a carnivorous diet. Okay, so that, that's an excellent description of birds of prey. Now, Birds of prey, whenever we're talking about this, the, those birds of prey, we're usually talking about typical birds that are found in the order Belconiformes. And sorry for all this Latin stuff, but we're, we're just trying to scientifically and correctly group these birds into to which, which birds belong to which group. So um, that Belconiformes, that includes our favorite birds such as eagles and hawks and kestrels and osprey that's typically what we consider as birds of prey yeah and that's where it really gets interesting because if you look at genetics and the evolutionary record you'll see that owls are more closely related to birds in the order of the caprimulgiforms and these these are the the night jars the whippoorwills the the chuckwills widow Oh my gosh, I, I hate to interrupt, but those are my absolute favorite nighttime sounding birds. Both both the whippoorwills and the chuckwills widow, they have very similar calls, and a lot of people confuse which is which. But if you don't know what those birds sound like, Google it because as soon as you hear it, you'll oh I know that sound. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Oh no, I know right though they are awesome. But anyway, um, owls are more closely re- related to those kinds of birds as opposed to hawks and eagles, again, when we're looking at the genetics. Needless to say, though, they do fit the description of raptors since they have all of those birds of prey kind of characteristics. Where they do differ, uh, like drastically, from the falconiformes is that they are all nighttime hunters. And all other birds of prey, or that, you know, they're diurnal, meaning they, they strictly hunt during the day. Yeah, and it's it's crazy cool how much we're learning through genetics and and kind of tracing back these evolutionary paths that animals and birds have taken. 
it, it used to be the only way we compared one animal to another and to see if they were related or we lumped them into the same families or group of animals was we, we typically compared like morphological differences or similarities. But we're now finding that those morphological assumptions that we made, they're not always correct. For yeah, example, the I, genet yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was actually going to interrupt you. So we actually call that because when you say the morphological, just so our, our listeners know, what we're talking about is kind of form and function when we're talking about morphological. So what, you know, that, that form and how it functions and kind of what it looks like. So when we're talking about um, what Daryl's saying, where we were classifying things based on that, how they looked, how their form and function, that was called phenotypic classification, which pretty much just said, you know, like my senses can pick it up. I see it. I smear it. I, I smear it. I see it. I hear it. And I smell it. <laughs> Whereas this other one that I hope you're about to tell me about is going to be more genotypic. Am I right? It is. And, and you did a great job. I, I think one of the easiest things to to give an example of, uh, for example, I, you like cougars. I like cougars. One of the things that they used to do, they used to classify all these different subspecies and they would measure, they would look at these phenotypic differences. And oftentimes it's like the size of the skull or, or certain parts of the body. And sometimes it's not even really visible. Oftentimes, like way back when, they would measure the skull parameters down to the nearest millimeter and they would lump one animal as this group and another animal as this group because it was just a little bit different in shape. And what we're finding now is some animals just had bigger heads. <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all related, um, but that's what the, the genotypic differences or similarities are showing us is we, we now know for certain that, yeah, all of these animals are similar because they have the exact same genes. So anyway, I lost my train of thought. So w the cool thing with owl stuff is with high-tech equipment, before we even get into the, the gene sequencing, with high-tech equipment, we can even now compare minute differences in vocalizations between owls. Because there's, there's a lot of animals and birds that have frequencies that the human ear can't hear. And so even looking at those high-tech frequent or the, the high-tech equipment is picking up those frequencies that we can't see. And we can then determine, you know what, this call is actually completely different than this call. So anyway, um, what they're looking at now with owls, and, and they've seen these studies, not only just based on vocalizations, but it's all often supplemented with DNA evidence. And it's resulted in a much, much larger species list for owls than was envisioned like in the 1990s. So it's not even that that long ago. And there was a book that was written, uh, I think Rob Hume and Trevor Boyer, originally like 30 years ago, they recognized about 151 owl species. Now, because of all this gene work, by the year 2000, the leading references identified more than 200 species. So we picked up like an extra 50 species of owls because of this this gene work that we're doing. So depending on which authority you follow now, the grand total for owl species rests in, in the entire world rests somewhere between 207 and 215 species. Now, just so you know, 16, about 16 or 18 of those species, and you mentioned it before, they're in the, that family Titanidae, which is the barn owls. 
and all the rest, the true owls, there's anywhere from 189 to 197 species in that Strigidae family. Okay, you are just totally the little bookworm. I am a, so proud of you. Well, I knew I knew what today's topic was going to be. You didn't, so. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, I, I had an inkling. You gave me a list of things you talked about, like maybe doing. So I, I generally hit the books for all those. But I am so stinking proud of you for doing some research before our little podcast here. Hey, um, I will tell you, I learned from the best because you're the one that really instills in me to do some research before I speak. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's because I've spoken some really bad stuff before, but I, I did take it to heart. <laughs> well, can I, can I refer back to something you just said? Of course. Okay. Well, actually it's, it's not that I love how you just gave the, the range regarding the number of species, you know, what was it? You said it was something like between 207 and 215 owl species worldwide, right? Correct. Okay. What I want people to understand is that science is always changing. You know, it's finding and analyzing new evidence and then drawing new conclusions. You know, some people get very frustrated thinking that science is wishy-washy because it doesn't come up with these concrete answers. But literally, folks, this is what science is all about, learning as you go. Oh my gosh, I love that point you just made. So, okay, Steph, we, we talked about the evolutionary aspect of owls. Now let's, let's talk about some cool stuff. Why don't we, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we want to keep our listeners like engaged here. So enough with like all the strigidity and titanity and tell me, tell me some really neat characteristics of owls as a group, as a whole that people ought to know. Okay, uh, let's see. Let me tell you about some nifty characteristics of owls. You and your dang nifty. I never should have said that before. I, I like that word, so learn to deal with it, buddy. But anyhow, I will gladly admit that while I was doing some casual research on tonight's topic, I did pilfer some of those, those nifty owl traits um, that, that I have learned from the National Audubon Society. So along with Cornell Ornithology Lab, the Audubon Society is one of the leading organizations when it comes to birds. For the record, I also grabbed my trusty ornithology textbook from the college days, but it just brought back a whole lot of stressful memories. Anyway, um, I, I'm ready. I've got a bunch of facts. Are you ready to go? Okay, dazzle me with your brilliance. All right, did you know many owl species actually have asymmetrical ears? <laughs> so you're saying my brother, Brian, is part owl? <laughs> Be nice. You obviously don't know my brother and his crooked ears. Anyway, in regard to owls and not your brother, their ears, you know, um, because their ears, when we say asymmetrical, their ears are located at different heights on the owl's head. So one on ears, you know, obviously going to be higher than another. And that allows their ears to pinpoint the location of sounds in multiple dimensions, which is just too cool. So since they're usually hunting at night, this gives them an added benefit and added, like it's a total advantage so that they can hone in on their prey. And to clarify what Stephanie just said, when, when she mentioned about hearing things in multiple dimensions, you, you and I, hopefully your ears are straight and they're, they're not asymmetrical, but typically when a human hears something, you can get direction. You, you can, you can pinpoint what direction something is in, but these asymmetrical ears and just the power of their ears, th this allows owls to 
potentially determine distance too. So there, there's a whole lot of things going on with their ears. Their ears are pretty special. So that, that's pretty cool stuff there, Steph. Okay. Well, did you, did you also know that in addition to those, those asymmetrical ears, you know, they have this dished face. Uh, it's hard to explain a dished face, but um, most owls, they have this dished face. I can't even say that dished face. And what it does is it concentrates the sound to their ears. So I'm actually, I have a perfect way. It looks kind of like a satellite dish and it acts like a satellite dish to collect and concentrate those sound waves. Yeah. I think the greatest example of that dished face that owls have, if you have to know what a barn owl looks like, it's probably because they had the white face and you can really see that concave circular satellite dish look to the, the front of their face, but really good stuff. Keep it coming. All right. So did you know that the eyes of an owl are not true eyeballs? They actually have tube shaped, not round, tube shaped eyes that are completely immobile. And that provides binocular vision, which fully focuses on their prey and also boosts their depth perception. Okay. I, I just thought of something here. If their eyes are tube shaped and not, uh, not, I was going to say orbular. <laughs> I like orbular. <laughs> oh, orbular works for me. Yes. Okay. They do not have orbular uh, eyes. Spherical. How about that? I'll use the proper term. So if they're not round, because um, round eye, obviously you can rotate in different directions, but if it's a tube inside their head, they, they can't really move. So is that why owls have to rotate their heads so much? Since, since they don't have those eyeballs that can swivel, and it's more tube-like, I can see now why they'd have to rotate their head so much to focus on their prey. Yeah, which actually brings me to my next nifty tidbit. Did you know that because owls can't move their eyes and they have to move their head instead, like you just mentioned, they can actually rotate their necks 270 degrees. Okay, 270 degrees. It's like, if you're looking forward, you can then look to your left by turning to the right. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you follow what I'm saying, that's, that's 270. That's a long ways. But here's the thing that troubles me, though, because if you can turn your head that much, wouldn't that kind of pinch off the blood flow? Because think about it. If you take a tube of any sort and you twist it 270 degrees, you're almost making a complete circle isn't that going to pinch off like a big part of that tube exactly and that's why owls they've developed this super awesome thing they've actually developed this blood pooling system which collects blood to power their brains and eyes when the neck movement has actually cut off that circulation holy crap i can't believe i'm gonna say this but that is really nifty so damn it. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me saying it that's because it's a good word. Okay, so are you ready, D? I'm I'm going to quiz you on this next nifty fact. You good? I'm good. I'm always good. All right. Okay. Did you know that owl feet? I have I have a thing for feet of animals anyway, but owl feet are crazy cool. They have two forward-facing uh, toes and then two backward-facing toes. So tell me, what is the term for that? For that that two forward-facing toes and Two rear-facing toes. That would be called zygodactyl feet. Ooh, ooh, 
I got it. I got it. Ah, uh, I thought I might actually stump you on that one. Yeah, not on your best day, pal. Well, at least not on today right now. <laughs> but anyway, so did you know that unlike like unlike most other those of those those zygodactyl birds, the ones that have the the two toes in front and the two toes in the back, owls can actually pivot one of their back toes forward to help them grip and walk. Damn it, you are good. I didn't It's a it. trick toe, right? I did. <laughs> I thought you were the only one with a trick toe. <laughs> I did not know that, so that, that was actually a good piece of information. Um, but hey, something just popped in my mind when you were talking about um, them like gripping and walking. So since, since you're talking about owl legs, is it true that young owls don't have the strength to stand and, and they end up kind of sleeping on their stomach? Where, where I'm going with this is there's been some crazy viral pictures on the internet. In fact, I will tell you, we posted them on the Wildlife For You Facebook page one time of these these owls laying flat on their faces. Yeah, believe it or not, you know that that is true, sort of. You know, all those the the, the pictures they they make the owl kind of look like he's a little drunken sailor. Um, they they do kind of lay down on their stomach when they're young, but it's not because their legs aren't strong enough, nor is it because they're drunken sailors. It's just because their heads are too big, sort of like a human baby. You know, until they grow into their body a little more they will lay down in the nest or, you know, in the, the tree and cock their head to the side. So the, the cool thing is if they are up in a tree and they're in a precarious spot, their feet will actually still lock them into place so that they don't fall out. So it's not like a human baby. Because <laughs> <laughs> we make it a habit of putting baby people in trees? As some people do, but uh, all right, funny <laughs> girl. Um, how about a couple more? Fun owl facts. Okay. Um, now I know that you already know this nifty fact, um, but but I'm gonna take a moment to explain it. All right, lay it on me. Okay. I am sure that you know that owls fly nearly silently. Yes. Yes. Indeed, I did know that. I I remember from the story that you were telling about when you were really young and you were out in the woods. But anyway, so do you know why they are nearly silent in flight? Don't. They have these like specialized feathers. They're, they're like howl, howl, <laughs> like hollow, like tubular, like tips. There's, there's. Bottom line, they're specially designed wing feathers, aren't they? Um, close. It, it, and it's actually a combination of factors. I was reading up on it last night, and I found a great description of why. And it said the main reason that owls can fly silently is the uniquely designed leading edge of their primary feathers. When most birds fly turbulence, which is that like that capricious air that, um, that causes disturbances that's created when the air is gushing over um, the, the surface of the wing, whether it's top or bottom. Anyway, that turbulence that it causes noise. Owl's wings, however, are unique because they reduce noise caused by that turbulence. Ah, so they're like super aerodynamic, kind of like the stealth bombers we now design. Uh, if you'll hush, I can finish. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> so an owl's primary feathers, they're actually serrated like a comb. So this design, it actually breaks down that turbulence that the, that they're, you know, happening when they're flying. It breaks that, that one bit of turbulence down into these smaller currents called micro turbulences. Then the edge of those feathers, um, 
they muffle the sound of the air flowing over the wing and then it shifts the angle at which the air flows. So then there's these super soft feathers. They allow air to pass through them, which then eliminates some of that sound or most of that sound. So some people suspect, believe it or not, that as an owl flies, these feathers might actually, you know, also shift sound energy created by the owl's wings to a higher frequency that their prey can't even hear. Now that's like really super cool. Uh, did I say I was done? <laughs> uh, no, ma'am. <laughs> okay, because it gets even better. So an owl's secondary feathers, they're made up of these really soft fringes that reduce that turbulence behind their wings. So the trailing feathers on the back end of the wing, are they're, they're, they're tattered. And the rest of the wing and the legs are covered in these, these downy feathers, which are those super soft, plush, make you really want to sneeze if they get near your nose kind of feathers. So as the owl flies, the trailing fringe and the tattered feathers, they break sound waves over the wing as the air flows over them. The down feathers then absorb any remaining noise created in that whole flight um, movement. So, and just so you know, that the down absorbs frequencies above 2000 Hertz, which is the measure of frequency, not the car agency, hmm. um, which eliminates all sound that owls potential prey could actually hear. So yes, in a mouse's world, an owl is as deadly as a B2 or a stealth bomber, as you say, but as a plane lover, I will say that stealthy flying is the only similarity there. Um, but interestingly, I will say all of this fun and nifty aerodynamic information comes from John Roach, who actually wrote an article for National Geographic on how Owl silent flight may inspire quiet aircraft tech, which is, you know, just totally cool. I was uh, in, in that geo news in like 2004. Wow, that was a crazy cool description. So I, I guess you can say it's a, it's, it's a little bit more involved than just saying they have hollow feathers. Um, yeah, a bit. Okay, since you gave such a great in-depth and cool fun fact, I'm going to relieve you for a bit and throw in a couple of my own. Did you know? Yeah, I probably did. Okay, Miss Smarty Pants, because of that comment now, I'm going to quiz you. So what is the smallest owl we have in North America? It's the elf owl, weighing in at about one and a half tiny little ounces and about five inches tall. And boy, howdy, is your memory short. I actually mentioned that owl at the start of the podcast. <laughs> You know, I told you once I have short-term memory loss. <laughs> At least I think I told you. <laughs> Can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> okay, smarty mix smart pants. <laughs> <laughs> you got the smallest. So, what is North America's largest owl? Ooh. Mm. Uh, so, by height or by mass? Dang you. <laughs> so by mass it's the snowy owl who delivered owl post for harry potter followed closely by the great horned owl who isn't featured in harry potter but i'm sure he works for the school or maybe the wizard post but those guys they weigh in at about four pounds for the the snowy and three pounds for the great horn so respectively now if you're talking about sheer size or like wingspan those North American honors are going to go to the great gray owl, who is also not in Harry Potter. Um, if you want to go beyond North American borders and think like globally, the number one and the number two largest owls are the Blakeston's fish owl, 
uh, also not in Potter for the record. And then the Eurasian Eagle Owl, who actually carried outposts for Draco Malfoy. And they reach anywhere from like seven to eight pounds and like a six foot wingspan. And I know I say that like that's super huge. And I realize that that's probably not super huge, but that's bigger than me. So it seems super huge to short people like me. Anyway, ironically, all four of those owls, they're huge size differences, right? Like I just said, but they're all actually in the same genus in Bubo. I was thinking of uh, a comment about um, the wingspan being bigger than you and trying to throw saw wet owl, but I, I, I dropped it. So anyway, you, you mentioned the, the genus Bubo. They, they're known for those big owls. So I imagine those owls in that genus Bubo, they're like flying stealth B-52 bombers. They're, they're Mongo predators of the sky. Well, actually, the largest bomber is the Russian Tupolev T-160 Blackjack. But if B-52 is what you want to call them, I'm not going to stop you. Um, any, any other neat tidbits that you want to put in here before we start wrapping up? You're a turd. Yeah. You just you just love showing me up, but I, I tell you what, it impresses the hell out of me when you can pull that stuff uh, out of your out of your backside like that. So it's love. Um, I it's I love you, and you can put up with it. So that's why I do it. <laughs> Don't push it. <laughs> okay. What? What? Oh my gosh, we're already well over thirty minutes. So we never even got into any of the interesting tidbits about individual species. So I guess. As much as I hate to say this, I guess we're going to have to cover those in another podcast. Yeah, maybe we can do like, you know, big owls one day, small owls another day. I don't know. We probably should, though. Um, and just so you know, this turned out to be a pretty fun podcast. As I mentioned to you uh, and probably on the podcast before, I absolutely love learning new things. So just so you know, in my research of tonight's topic and in this podcast, I have picked up a few things that I didn't know. Really? That that impresses me. But uh, like, what did you pick up? Uh, well, for one, your brother apparently has crooked ears. You think a B-52 bomber is quiet, or excuse me, a B-2 bomber is quiet, and that a B-52 is actually really huge. But anyway, no, in all seriousness, the, the, the evolution of owls was pretty interesting. You know, I always... I always thought that they were closer to hawks and eagles than whippoorwills. Yeah, and I learned something about your rotating toe, or the owl's rotating toe. <laughs> That's not even nice. Uh, did I mention my, my other brother, Bobby, has a rotating toe? <laughs> oh, I've got something in common with Bobby. No, you know, and I, I actually, you know what, we probably don't really want to hear about Bobby's or mine. So what I do want to hear about, however, is any shout outs that you may have. Actually, before I do a shout out. I want to mention something that will allow me to like truly tie in our next podcast to this podcast because you told me earlier today it was weak. So, okay. So, what is it? Ticks. Ticks. So, if you say the word ticks, then now we've got a tie in. Okay. That's all you're going to give me? Yep. Now you're going to have to wait till next week to find out what we're going to talk about. But I promise it will have something in relation to ticks so well now we got right. a con we, we've got a concrete solid tie-in for next week okay and if it means that you're going to do all the research because i'll have to learn about it next week when you just drop this on me then have at it buddy i will i will definitely agree to that so what are your shout outs okay Th this is going to be a good one now my shout out today is not going to a single person but rather to a group of people 
And what I have to do, I have to give the world's biggest shout out to all those wildland firefighters out there. And I will tell you, things are getting pretty crazy out there, especially especially out west. You're not hearing about these crazy fires in the east, but the west is on fire, man. And well, it's a- for the record, it's big enough where in the east we actually are hearing about it and getting the smoke from it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been under smoke cover here in Salt Lake City for a um, um, couple of weeks now, which really, really stinks. So anyway, the bad thing is it's it's only going to get crazier out there with the way climate change is going. Now, I will tell you, I had quite the experience over the weekend. I, I don't know if you saw my Facebook or I told you, but I went for a little little Jeep ride, a little day trip up into the Wasatch Mountains east of Salt Lake City. Now, I will tell you, the day started beautiful. We didn't really have that much smoke going on when I started the day. And before I knew it, as I was climbing that mountain in my Jeep, there was these big billowing clouds coming up over the mountain. The problem was that cloud was reaching all the way down to the mountain. Ah, so you saw a smoke cloud billowing up. Yeah, and it was crazy because I literally saw when it started and the thing pretty much exploded within a matter of an hour or two. And, and so I was on the road and there was no fire. And then I look up on the mountain and there's a fire. So inquisitive me, I wanted to kind of see what was going on with that fire. And I ended up driving down Interstate 80 and literally right alongside that fire. It's It was called the Parley's Canyon Fire. Now, at first when I drove along in the interstate, I saw this burnt vegetation and I thought it was our guys, those wildland firefighters that I'm giving this shout out to. And I thought they were setting a backfire to create a fire line. So do I need to explain that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So I, I thought it was our firefighters that were lighting that fire alongside the road. Lo and behold, it turns out that is exactly where that fire started. There was a faulty catalytic converter on a vehicle and it ended up throwing some sparks off the highway and it ignited ignited this wildfire in a super duper precarious location the part of that mountain that that fire started is a big tourist area with like million dollar homes all over the mountainside it's it's also the the place where they hosted the salt lake city uh winter olympics i don't know what year it was but park city it's just amazing beautiful place up there needless to say the firefighters they are absolutely amazing, and they have been on site every day trying to keep that fire from getting out of control. Thankfully, we've had some rain come in, but it's not just these guys. It is the firefighters in California, Oregon, Washington, every single state in the West that's on, on fire right now. And I tell you what, Steph, those firefighters, especially those elite crews like the smoke jumpers, man, they are the most well-trained, physically fit crews you will ever, ever see. Anyway, other folks that serve in that capacity of fighting fires, my hat's off to you and to everyone. You truly do keep people and our precious resources safe. So thank you. That's my shout out for today. I had to I had to do that, but thank you for giving me the time to do that. Yeah, for sure. That's super cool. And here I was about to give a shout out to my local convenience store for restocking my flame and hot Cheetos that they ran out of. So <laughs> no, that I, I appreciate your shout out in all honesty, because that, you know, I have lots of, um, well, I mean, I don't have lots of friends on Facebook, but I have people that I know on Facebook, a few, and some of them live out West. And I actually 
you know, I, I hear and see how fires are affecting them out there all the time. And it's something that in the East, we don't have to worry about as much, but, you know, for sure we need to be aware of it. And yeah, hats off to those folks. And just so you know, like Cheeto stockers are worthy too. Amen. <laughs> in your own demented, wonderful world that you live. Anyway, I, I know in my heart, you're right on board with everything I just said about the firefighters. Absolutely. No doubt. All right, Steph. I think we can start wrapping it up. And since you're so good at it, can you can you thank all of our listeners and tell me tell tell them what we think of them? <laughs> well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, tell them what I think of them because I, I heard what you call our listeners. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She loves you too. I was gonna say I do love them. I was actually going more with the tell me what I think of them or whatever you were trying to say. I was gonna make fun of you for that. All right. So as always, we would definitely like to thank all of you all that are out there and listening. We are so very thankful and appreciative that you like what we have to offer. And to be honest with you, it kind of sort of amazes us. If you think that we're doing a good job, though, go ahead and tell your friends and your family and your enemies. And, you know, that guy who's standing on the street corner and he looks a little bored for sure. Talk to them and tell them to to listen to Wildlife for You and to, to follow our podcast and subscribe so you get notified when we have new things that come out. And of course, you can follow us on our Facebook. Daryl is super engaged with that whole social media thing. So I'm sure that uh, he will always keep you engaged. And he also is really good at responding back. So, um, yeah, and I guess I guess that's probably about covering it. So I guess the next thing we should say is when it comes to wildlife. Your knowledge. No, I'm not. I'm not ready. Stop. (laughs) Okay. Before we do the before we do the um, the closing catchphrase, can I make one more request? Uh, TikTok, make it quick. All I need is about thirty seconds. I'm not sure if that's a line from your college days or me saying, "Dude, I know better. I know what happens when you <sighs> ramble." Oh snap! <laughs> yeah, you did. You just totally cleared my line with. <laughs> You know, I would be mad if that wasn't true. <laughs> anyway, oh, I totally am blanking now because <laughs> that was actually kind of funny there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can close it. Okay, uh, no, no extra shout outs? No, Something? no, my mind has been wiped thoroughly. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. Well, I'm going to make that, that whatever I said right there, I'm going to say it in every episode. <laughs> anyway, so with that, um, as a reminder, folks, um, I, I've already done all the rest of it. So when it comes to wildlife. Your knowledge. <laughs> Boy, it, we need cue cards. It, 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 really, it really stinks. I need so a shock away. collar. No, I don't need, I need a really long distance <laughs> shock collar. So like when you and then oh my line okay when it comes to wildlife your knowledge often means their existence night folks hey steph what does a well-educated owl say uh i don't know what whom whom Oh my gosh. Hey Steph, two burn owls were sitting on a perch and one says to the other, can you smell fish?
right. I've had enough. <laughs>